Storehouse Dallas. Just excited to be here, excited about what God's doing. And I, I, I remember preaching, I think it was a couple years ago, and I was preaching a little bit about the Jesus People Movement. Um, we were in a different building. We were like in a Jewish synagogue, I think, or something like that together. And uh, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was awesome. And, uh, you know, in 2014, God spoke to me and told me, Chad, uh, I want you to begin to learn the language of heaven and then how to articulate it to a generation that's never heard the gospel in their language. And I began to break that down a little bit last time. uh, That was a couple years ago. And I have been in this place of prayer, intercession, asking God. And so 2014, um, so yeah, I mean, I've shared this a little bit like a couple years ago, but I discovered like 2014 that I'm a tweener. Yeah. Some of you are like, what the heck is that? Well, uh, I was born 81, and they say that those that were born in like uh, 79 to 83 are tweeners. So we're like not Gen Xers, and we're not millennials. So it's like a weird type of deal, but, uh, uh, but I'm a tweener. And, uh, and, and it's just crazy how God kind of sets you up, right? Because I feel like a lot of my prayer, intercession, being led by the Spirit. I feel like I forced Gump my way, and then I begin. And observation is huge in the kingdom that you observe, you know, hey, this is not a coincidence, what God's doing, and you begin to connect the dots. Like, uh, I, in 2006, I started, just giving you a little example. In 2006, I started seeing crazy car accidents, like, everywhere I went. Yeah. Like, people, I would see anywhere from three to five car accidents a week. And so uh, I would get out and I'd pray for people after like the first week. I was like, God, what are you doing? You know, I, like, what, what, are you, what, are you, what am I supposed to do? Why, don't, why does this keep happening? And the Lord's like, hey, I want you to approach people that were involved in the car accident. I want you to say, hey, my name's Chad. I've been sent here by heaven. What do you need? And he says, Chad, you're being led by my spirit way more than you realize that I'm putting you in the right place at the right time because, you know, these people are in an accident and they need me to show up. So, you know, it got so crazy. I think we were in uh, week 10, and it was around my birthday. And so Julia, my wife, got me road flares for my birthday. <laughs> She's the practical one in our family. Uh, you know, I remember, uh, anyways. <laughs> She's always got the hand sanitizer and the whole deal, and you know, we're in Africa, and she's got, like, a big tub, and, you know, she's just always keeping me safe, and I love it. You know, it's awesome. We're, like, really good team together, and, uh, and so uh, I remember, I might, I might as well tell one story about that, right? The car accident. Should I share one story? I mean, I, I saw a crazy different car accident. So Jill Austin was a real uh, spiritual mom to me for a number of years. And, uh, and so I called Jill and I said, hey, I'm, I'm seeing all these car accidents. Like, let's get together for lunch. I want to just talk about what God's doing and, and all this stuff. And so we're meeting for lunch. And she calls me and says, Chad, I was just in an accident. And I'm like, oh, no. So I rush over where she was at. And it was her fault. And so the guy's really upset. And I tell the guy, hey, you know, do you have pain in your neck from the accident? And he goes, yeah, I do. Well, let me pray for you. And we pray for him. And he like, the peace of God, he, like, gets this... And 
and he actually gets like almost the fear of the Lord that he realizes, wow, this is like a minister of the gospel, Joe Austin. And, and, and it's, I didn't even say that. It was just this fear of the Lord that came over him of like, oh, whoa, you are in the church. Like you're, you're a pastor or, you know, you know, all this sort of stuff. And oh, okay, I'm so sorry. And he starts like apologizing. Hey, we don't need to get insurances involved. It's okay. And, and I'm like, okay, this sounds awesome. You know? And so Jill had her car towed and we, you know, we, we, it was, wasn't like a crazy accident, but it was enough for her car to be towed. He, he didn't. And so anyway, she jumped in my car, we're driving to lunch and we're at the red, we're at this red light, this intersection and a three car collision happens right in front of us. And she goes, wow, you're not joking around. I'm like, yeah, I know. And she goes, what do you do now? And I said, well, we pull over and you tell them, you know, my name is Jill. I've been sent here by heaven. What do you need from God? And so I said, you take care of that. You take that car and I'll go take this truck. And the truck was on its side, climbed in it. And the, the, the driver, he uh, took his seatbelt off and he was in the passenger seat and he's screaming in pain. And I go, uh, my name's Chad. I've been sent here by heaven. What do you need? And, he, and his shoulder is down to here. So, I mean, you know, it's like Captain Obvious. It was pretty, you knew what he needed, but uh, his shoulder was down to here. And he's like, my shoulder, my shoulder. And I put my, I, I reached, uh, you know, through the car and I put my hand on his shoulder. He screams in pain. And I'm like, ah, I probably shouldn't put my hand there yet. So I put my hand a couple inches away and I'm praying for, you know, God to just crash in. And he goes, oh my gosh oh, wow, I'm feeling this, like, cool breeze on my shoulder. And as I'm feeling that, the pain is leaving. I think I can. And he does this, and everything in me was like, I know. Like, you know, like, do not boo. And he just goes, and it goes, and then just like this big snap, and it goes back into place. And he's moving it around. He's like, oh, wow, there's no pain. There's no pain. And that's when the paramedics, like, so all these things would happen. I would see about three to five car, three to five car accidents a week, and it was always before uh, first responders would come, before the paramedics or firefighters or police. So it was really cool because I got to be there right when you know, right when it happened, or right you know after it happened. And uh, and so the paramedics finally came, and this guy hops you know like on the. Uh, driver's side door. He's next to me. And he goes, hey, he's assessing the situation. He's like, what's going on? And the guy who gets healed goes, hey, um, can you like, just like jab that guy next to you? Can you just like, you know, poke him for me? And so the paramedic looks at me kind of like reluctantly nervous, you know, and he pokes my shoulder and he goes, yeah, that guy's real, right? And the paramedic's like, yeah? And he goes, oh, good. I, I didn't know if I, like, died and that was an angel or what was happening. And so he tells the paramedic what happened. His shoulder got healed. And then he's, like, you know, he pulls himself out of the truck. And he's telling the paramedic. And the paramedic goes, well, I have had two botched surgeries on my knees. And I can't, like, do squats. I can't. I'm in so much pain. Can you please pray for me? I'm like, sure. And so, you know, and I tell the guy who just got healed, hey, it's Matthew 10, 7 and 8, right? Like, preach the same message as Jesus preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven in his hand, you know, and then you freely receive, you know, you, you freely give away. You know, what happens when you preach that message? The, the sick get healed, the, the, the demons get cast out, the, the dead get raised, the lepers get cleansed. You know, let's go to India. You know, in India, there's still leper colonies. We should go there and just like release, you know, heaven down there. But anyways, or maybe bring the cure. There is a cure since the 50s. But, but anyways... <laughs> That's a little side note. Um, <laughs> gosh, I feel like I could just go on so many tangents right now. You know that Julie and I, we prayed in Molokai at the leper colony? 
But that's a whole other thing. We did, like a, we did like a full-on revival service for the leper colony because they gave them the option once they brought the cure there of you could still live here. You know, like you, you could, you, this could be your home. You've been here for probably decades or whatever. And so we did like a revival service with the, with the leper colony. It was awesome. But anyways, <clears throat> so I pray for the guy with the knees and, you know, me and the guy from the truck from the car accident. And he starts, you know, just doing that. And he's like, oh, my gosh, there's no more pain. And he looks over at his friend who's a police officer and says, you need to pray for my friend. He has migraines. And so we go grab the police officer. He gets, you know, the paramedic is sharing his testimony. The guy in the truck was sharing his testimony. And the the police officer goes, wow, I have a migraine right now. And this was going to be my last, uh, like my last call. And it's actually, these migraines are going to force me into early retirement because once I get them, they usually last a couple days and I have a vision impairment. Uh, I, I have to go into a dark room. I'm in severe pain. And so me, the paramedic, and, and this guy who just got healed of his shoulder, we lay hands on the cop's uh, you know, head, and all, the migraine lifts off, and now the, the cop is healed, the paramedic is healed, this one guy you know, who was in the car accident. And the paramedic and the police officer are like, well, what should we do now? And I'm like, well, let's line everybody up that was involved in the car accident, and we're going to pray for them. So me and Jill just like line everyone up. We saw two people get saved. We saw like three other people get healed. It was awesome. So you're way more led by the Spirit, you know, than, than you realize that God ordains your steps. And how beautiful are the feet, you know, of those that bring the good news. And I don't know why I was sharing that story, but it was really good. What was that? Language of heaven. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you. This is why he's in the front row. And, um, oh, you said that? Okay, well, see, that's a good man there. See, you're just getting points all around. That's, that's, a, that's a sign of humility right there. Okay. Language of heaven. And that's something that I've been learning my whole life. You know, that, that uh, I remember when, uh, when, my first, when my daughter was born, uh, you know, this is when the Lord started speaking to me about that. And, and my daughter was learning English. And so she could say, like, more mommy, daddy. And so I came and, and, uh, and I just had a little boy, which I'll maybe talk about. You know, I mean, we're talking like six weeks old. He's a, just a little world changer, David, Judah, Deadman. And uh, oh my gosh, he just, I, I love the baby stage. He just like falls asleep on me. And it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. So anyways, um, I have my little girl and she's like eight months old and she's saying, daddy, you know, and I come, I come in and, and she goes, daddy. And I'm like, oh, daddy, because that's, you know, what she could say. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm just, just repeating what she's saying. We're exchanging words. And we get to this conversation, very articulate, de- in-depth conversation for about 45 minutes. Daddy, daddy, oh, daddy, oh, daddy, 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 for 45 minutes. That, that was our conversation. <laughs> and I hear the father say, Chad, to the level of what Brielle knows of English, you know the language of heaven. And at first I was like, oh, dang. 
are you serious? I know three words. And he goes, no, 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 Chad. How excited are you that you walked in the door and you begin to talk to your daughter that, that you were consumed? You weren't thinking through 45 minutes, I wish you knew more words. You were just mesmerized. You were in the moment. You were present. You were just in this place of just like glory, just exchanging words with your daughter. And that's how I am with you that we're saying, Daddy. The Lord told me that Brielle will be one of my greatest mentors in life and that she'll teach me how to be present. I think that's probably one of uh, the big ones right now in this, in this time that we live in is that there is a war for us being present. You know, that when, in order to be present, you need to have, you need to see your past through the blood of Jesus, meaning there's no regret, there's no shame, there's no, you know, uh, oh, what did I do that? Like, like actually understanding that Jesus was with you your whole life and that he was forming you, he was, he was you know, uh, equipping you with your call, he was, he was building you up and that he's gonna use anything. Brother, you made stupid decisions. The enemy like made traps for you. Whatever it may be, I mean, this is Romans eight twenty eight. Whatever the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn around for good. Look at Joseph's life. Look at David's life. That yeah, I mean, obviously we could avoid revelation bumps. You know, like like you know, there there is that whole deal. But in order to be present. What pulls you out of being present is if you look at your past and you feel shame, you feel regret, you feel disqualified. That's, not, that's, call, that's condemnation. And so we need to actually look at our past and, and begin to see where God was throughout our whole past. That, oh yeah, that thing's that tripped us up, now we have authority in because Jesus lives inside of us. We're gonna go kill those giants. And then your future, you have to be connected. In order to be present, you have to be connected also to your future through the blood of Jesus. That you have to, oh, Jesus. I wasn't going to go here, but I guess we're going here. I guess I'm doing the whole past future thing. Uh, you know, I used to believe, I used to believe a lie in the church that, I wasn't stepping in the fullness of my call, that I was a young adult pastor and I was a junior high pastor. And I had these junior high kids that were just world changers. And I talked about them, I think, last, the conference that I was at. I had one of them walk on water. Did I, I shared that at the, um, at the dinner table, but did I share that like corporately about walking on water? Okay, so that would be a good one. So, I mean, like... <laughs> These kids, I mean, first of all, let's just back up for a second. They hired me to be a young adult pastor at the Vineyard in Laguna Niguel. And, and I'm thinking, oh, yes, most revivals happen with young adults. And, you know, I'm going to go to college campuses and stir up prayer and evangelism and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then they say, hey, the junior high pastor quit. We need you to take over the junior high ministry. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, this is glorified babysitting, you know, that, you know, like successful junior high ministry is putting kids in a padded room and giving them pizza and movies and Ritalin, and hopefully they're still breathing by the end of, you know, the church service, and that's success. And so I was like, God, I'm not a junior high pastor, and the Lord's like, hey, you need to, like, 
you need to understand that you're going to raise up revivalists, whether I put you in the nursery or I put you in the convalescent home. You're going to raise up revivalists. It's not like restricted just to one age. You're going to raise up revivalists wherever you put your hands to. You're going to raise up revivalists. And so I want you, Chad, to see these guys as revivalists. And so my first junior high night, I'm like pumped. I've got this whole message on identity that I would be preaching to BSSM. And, 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 and I'm getting ready. And there's two kids. And I find out one of them is on fire. And so I come home that night to tell Julia half of my youth group is on fire. I am so encouraged. Half of my youth group is on fire. And then two became 10, 10 became 30, 30 became 60. About a, a year plus in, we had over 100 kids. And, and what was amazing was not just the numbers. I love the numbers. God loves the numbers because he loves people. But what's awesome was, was the quality, was that each kid moved in the prophetic, moved in uh, healing, moved in words of knowledge. Like, we would have kids come in the door, get radically saved, have the spirit of adoption fall on them, know that they're a son, that they're a daughter. And then that night, they'd be prophesying, giving words of knowledge, you know, healing the sick. I loved it. It was like, and that is the body of Christ, right? That, that you know, the, our end designation is his face. Like, if we're all on the, on the train, you know, where are we headed? We are headed to the face of God. Oh, dear Lord, now I'm getting stirred up. <laughs> I remember eight years old being in worship services, and I'd just be screaming, God, I want to see your face. I want to see your face. And then I'd hear messages, uh, you can't see the face of God. If you see the face of God, you will die. Your physical body can't handle the glory of the Lord, and so it will crumble, it'll become dust, it'll just like whoosh, you know, and you'll be no more, and you'll be taken up to heaven or something like that. And, and so I would be like, okay, Chad, like, you're eight years old. You've got a long life to live. Like, you know, maybe pray that prayer when you're 90 or something like that. And, and so I would, you know, rebuke myself, and then the next week I would be in worship, and, and then this thing in me, this, like, this heart cry, of God, I want to see your face. And so at eight years old, I was in this like theological tension deal. And, and at one day, one Sunday service, I just said, you know what? I don't care if I live or die. This cry in my heart is so big that I can't ignore it. I don't care if I live or die. God, I want to see your face. And I stumbled upon a scripture, Ezekiel 39, 29, for I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will pour out my spirit. And see, everyone tries to come up with different definitions of revival, but the, the greatest definition of revival is the face of God. That, it, it, you know, what did Jesus say? Hey, if you feed those that are hungry, it's like you're feeding me. If you, if you give clothes to those that need clothing, it's like you're clothing me. If you give those that need shelter, it's like you're giving me shelter. That's not a metaphor. That's saying, hey, that's an invitation. That's an opportunity to see my face. Through acts of kindness, through healing, through the prophetic, through... Everything that we're doing, that I'm just engaging my heart, that I would just see his face. Because it's in the outpouring his face is revealed. Jesus. So I love, love to watch God show up. Should we just do, oh yeah, walking on water. Let's do that, yes. And maybe I have another two or three stories, and then I'll, I'll break open the Bible. So these kids, they were radical. They would, uh, 
you know, they, they would go out to the streets, they would go out to the malls, they would see people get saved. I mean, it's really hard to reject a 10-year-old. It really is. It's actually amazing. I found out that, like, you know, these 10, 11, 12-year-olds, you just can't reject them. So you just, it's just like the Trojan horse. It just goes in there and, like, boom, they just get, like, radically saved. I mean, it was amazing. And uh, we, we went up to Redding. We were, you know, this was in Southern California. We went up to Redding, and uh, we were driving in the van. Normally, when we do road trips, it takes us a, a really, really long time. A, because very practical junior hires have small bladders. <laughs> so, and they're always drinking Red Bull and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so every, like, every 45 minutes, we've got to stop. But every time we stop, there's like five kids praying for the guy at pump number five, three kids praying for the girl at pump number three, like seven of them prophesying over the cashier lady. And then I go to the bathroom and I find like, I find like three boys that are on the ground going, I've seen angels. And, and that is like one of the most disgusting places to have an encounter with God. Like that's got to be the real thing. I mean, if you're faking it, wow, that is just like, that's not the place to be faking it. So we would have to like pick them up and like put them in the van. And, you know, we, we, this was one road trip in particular. Like, I feel like this is becoming inception, like stories within stories. But anyways, we just entered the third level. But uh, anyways... So we, we, we were doing the head count, you know, like we had all these kids like, you know, buying chocolate and Red Bull and prophesying and healing the sick and the whole deal. And there's two boys missing, you know, like that's a junior hires, like pastor's nightmare, you know, two, two boys are missing. And we're like looking, we've got like five vans, we can't find them. And then they come hopping out of the, like, a stranger's van. They hopped out of the stranger's van, meaning they were in a stranger's van. And, and then there was a lady that jumps out of the van with them, and she starts running around the parking lot screaming, thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, okay, that's a good thing. I'm going to have to talk to them later about jumping in strangers' vans. But, but I go over there, I'm like, what happened? They're like, well, you know, we, we walked by this van, and my hip started hurting. And so we just, like, shouted in the window, does someone have, like, a bad hip? And, well, this lady was, uh, she's going in for hip replacement surgery in a few weeks, and she wasn't able to walk, let alone run. And so they opened the van, and we hopped in. And I go, never hop in. Just pray from, like, right there. You don't need, you know, there's not a proximity thing. Just, just put you out your hands, you know? And, you know. and so anyways, or come and get me or something. So anyways, that's our road trips. So I'm in, the, I'm in the van. I've got my leaders. They're 12 years old, and they're my leaders. They, they preach. They, they, I mean, they're, they're amazing. And so anyways, I'm grooming them and the whole deal. And, and so one of them goes, hey, Chad, um, can we talk about something? I, I feel like I've plateaued in my walk with Jesus. And I'm thinking, 12 years old, plateaued with your walk with Jesus. This is going to be an interesting conversation. And so I'm like, well, what do you mean? What's going on? And like, well, you know what? I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen cancer dissolve. I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs, you know, but we've never seen. I mean, it says that John 14, 12, those that believe in me will do the same works as I do and even greater works you'll see because I'm going to be with the Father. Well, Jesus walked on water and I haven't walked on water yet. So I feel like I plateaued in my walk with God, that, that there's like this apathy thing that I need to press in. I need to break through. If that scripture is true, then I should be able to walk on water. And I'm like, yeah, makes total sense to me. That sounds biblical. My, you're staying at my parents' house. They have a pool, and you can practice there. 
And so every night, like, we would be getting out of Jews' culture, and we would just be getting blasted by God. And then we would, like, come home, you know, and we would have, like, pizza or tacos. And, you know, everyone would be, like, having radical counters. And then I would see these two guys sneak off. And then they would be like, you know, they were wearing their, their, their jeans, their shirt. They weren't expecting to get wet, you know. And, and I would see them, like I'd look out in the backyard and they'd be like holding hands, like just praying. And then suddenly you would hear the splash, the pratunk. <laughs> hear the washer and dryer going through the night. And I was a really good junior high pastor. I had a lot of sense of humor. And so in the morning times at breakfast, I'd be like, hey guys, if you really had faith, you'd have your cell phones in your pockets. And just mess with them a little bit, you know? Gosh. Okay, I'm about ready to do another story, but no, I'm staying on track. I might just have to share that story because it feels like, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm doing a comedy show right now or something. But anyways, so uh, three nights in a row, they fall in the water, and I wanted to make it an event for my youth group uh, that in our culture we celebrate risk-taking. So we, on the fourth day, we're leaving to go back down to Southern California. So I gathered about 60 of our youth, and they had not known about these two that had been containing a walk on water. Like, you know, I just was, you know, not really wanting to put pressure on them or whatever, pressure from the outside. I was just letting them go on their own journey. And so anyways, on the fourth day, I said, hey, these two guys have been contending to walk on water. And I want us as a community to contend for their breakthrough and to celebrate them that they are not like failing, that it might be the next time they try to walk on water, that we celebrate risk-taking, that that is success. Taking risks, stepping out of the boat is, is success. That when Peter... Yeah, you get excited about that. I mean, failure is staying in the boat. That Jesus gave an invitation to the 12 disciples to come and take a walk with them, and only one took, said yes to the invitation. And I believe that heaven's version of success or definition of success is stepping out of the boat. That when Peter stepped out of the boat, all of heaven was celebrating Peter. And the moment that, you know, he takes a walk with Jesus and he takes his eyes off of him and falls in the water, all of heaven was still celebrating Peter. Because Peter learned a valuable lesson the other 11 disciples didn't get to learn. And that's what happens when you take risks. That's what happens when you step out of the boat. You begin to learn about God's nature. Because God's presence is the safest place, but that doesn't translate to being comfortable. We were completely safe, but we're called to step out and take risk. And that it's a place of learning, it's a place of growing, it's a place, you know, and you better believe that next time Peter takes a walk with Jesus, he's going to keep his eyes on Jesus. He learned a valuable lesson the other 11 didn't get to learn through an experience. So we pray for them, we prophesy over them, we just, you know, encourage them, keep going for it, keep, you know, attempting to walk on water. It might be the next time, it might be the 10th time, it doesn't matter, just keep going, keep taking risks, we celebrate you. And so that was a Saturday. Sunday, we get back, it's church, and then we have a Sunday night baptism down at Doheny Beach, where we're actually putting on Catch the Wave with Heidi Baker in August. And so uh, I'm, I'm barbecuing, and the, uh, we just baptized like a bunch of kids and baptized a bunch of people from the church. And now I'm barbecuing, and the, uh, a couple of our youth approach the two guys. They say, hey, you two have been contending. Now we all want to contend as a youth group. 
because we've really taught that, that, hey, we, there's strength in numbers. Like we have each other's back, that, that we release momentum for one another, release breakthrough for one another. And so they all grab hands. There's about, about a good 40 of them. They all grab hands and they begin to walk out on the water and they all get about chest deep, you know, shoulder deep. And they notice one kid is still on top of the water continuing to walk. I, li I like your expression. Yeah, and like the fifth row, you're just like. <laughs> yeah, so people start coming from the beach, coming from uh, surfing, and they're like, hey, is this like a Chris Angel thing? Is this like a new age thing? And they go, no, 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 this is a Jesus thing. And they just start like presenting the gospel, start seeing people get healed, about you know, a good 15 people get saved. It was pretty awesome. So yeah, that's fun. Those were my junior high kids. Jesus. So it was just really crazy how God was setting me up because I was an only child for about 10 and a half years, and then my sister came into the world. And it was crazy because I wanted to be a young adult pastor. That's what I was so jazzed and excited about. Who ever uses the word jazz? But I did. So anyways... I'm using expressions I've never used before, but <laughs> I kind of stumbled into the junior high thing and I didn't realize it that, oh, wow, like, like I am called to father millennials. And my sister was the same age. My sister, you know, is 10 and a half years younger than me. She's 26 years old. And I didn't realize it until 2014 when God's like, hey, I want you. There's a, there's a generation that's, that's searching for me, that's, that, that, that's longing to know me. And I want you to go out there and I want you to discover their language, then how to articulate the gospel, the same gospel that we've been preaching for 2,000 years, but that we began to articulate it to this generation. Jesus. I mean, you have to understand the Lord in 2014 said, I want you to study the 60s, what was going on in the 60s. I want you to study what, the, the, what was going on in the country, what was going on in the world before the Jesus movement happened and that you'd begin to understand the climate. You'd begin to understand the condition of what was going on, the, the God set up and what he was orchestrating and, this, and the journey of a generation, the baby boomers that they were coming out of, you know, post-war and they begin to ask questions and they begin to go on their own rites of passage of what is America going to look like for me? What is, like, who is God? How do I discover him? And they were in this search mode. And if you study the 60s, there's all this Eastern philosophy that started uh, flooding in. There was um, a, a number of different things that was going on and they were labeled rebellious. They were labeled, you know, where, where they began to be a little bit of a cat between the generations. And I had a dream about nine months ago that I saw three men sitting in chairs and Jesus washing their feet. And I couldn't, I saw behind them and I had to come around the chairs to see that it's three men, one with their ages, one being a millennial, one being a Gen Xer, and one being a baby boomer. And I saw this rainbow over them as Jesus is washing their feet. And it says, uh, Chad, I, in the next seven years, I'm going to reveal to the world that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that I'm healing the generations together. 
And that's why it's a little like we have to be careful of, okay, we're just going to focus on millennials. No, 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 no. We need to be focusing on all the generations, that there's healing of all the generations, that we all need one another, that if you watch the Olympics, if you watch relay races, that in order to do a good baton pass, you have to run at the same time. We're called to run together. But if you look at what was going on in the 60s where, you know, you had these people that were growing facial hair, you were having, you know, men growing their hair out and wearing no shoes. And, and you know, like the big like, controversy of the church in the, in, the, in the early 60s was drums, way more than electric guitar. I mean, drums just re- like signified witchcraft and demonic. And you had... You know, so many people saying, hey, you need to come as we are, not come as you are. And it was Chuck Smith who said, hey, guys, can you go pick up some hippies? Can you go pick up some hitchhiker hippies? And I want to just learn. He didn't say this in the sense of he just wanted to talk with them, which I think the heartbeat was, I want to learn their language. I want to, like, understand them, which is huge. You know, I, I was raised by two evangelists, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of like in me, this whole evangelism thing. But that's like one of the first things is build a connection where you ask questions. You're seeking understanding. So anyways, you have this generation, right, the baby boomers, where... They were being labeled rebellious, anti-American, you know, when really they were just going through the rites of passage of, well, what is my America going to look like? And probably one of the biggest, you know, events of the, the baby boomers was Woodstock. And if you looked at reporters that were reporting about Woodstock, they called it an anti-American festival that actually there was one reporter that said uh, on the TV, hey, uh, why don't you look in your teenager's room? If they're not there, they're probably at this festival naked, on drugs, uh, you know, going crazy, burning the American flag. And that's like the aha moment of Woodstock was Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner with no lyrics. And that was a moment of a generation saying, that's what my America does look like. And you need to understand that there's music, there's sounds that are happening right now. And I'm, I'm leading you into something, but there's sounds that are, that are happening right now, whether it be, you know, you watch this, you watch, you know, like there's all kinds of folk music that's coming out, which was huge in the 60s, where you had, you know, the beatnecks and you had, you know, the, the folk music. And, you know, so I went and saw Angus and Julia Stone. They're amazing. Then you've got the whole thing of psychedelic rock where you've got uh, Tame Impala, you got all J, you got Glass Animals. I don't know if anybody knows these bands, but some people do. Okay, good. Because they're carrying a sound for a generation. And God's been calling me to intercede where I'm just like listening to this music. I go to these concerts and I begin to intercede. And I'm going to tell you about the first, uh, 2014, the Lord said, go to Coachella. And begin to intercede for a generation. So I go to Coachella in 2014, and everyone wants to go with me. They're like, Chad, let's go do ministry. Let's go pray for you. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. But I was going to check in my spirit to go do it at this time. And, I, and the Lord's like, hey, you need to take your sister. So me and my sister go. 
And it's, we're there Friday, the first day of the festival, and we're watching Angus and Julia Stone in the sunset and Palm Springs, these mountains. It's amazing. And they say, hey, um, make sure to text your brother or sister because it's National Siblings Day. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's why it's just me and you. It's National Siblings Day. And it was amazing. Me and my sister had probably been to about six different music festivals, Lollapalooza, Outside Lands. Um, you know, one of these days I'll get to Austin City Limits. But anyways, the Lord told me to go to Coachella, take soil from the prayer chapel in Reading, and begin to just throw it on the land and begin intercede for a generation that people would get radically saved, that they would begin to discover Jesus, and I begin to pray that people would come to BSSM. And so I just hired um, some people with, like, help me out with social media, all stuff. And I was telling them, like, hey, you know, as we're, like, building stuff for social media, I was telling them about this. And they just started weeping. Chad, I was at Coachella in 2014, and I was a Buddhist, and I was not saved. And I got radically saved. There it is again. I love your expression. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's so good. I'm just going out. There is something. Just stand up really quick. That God's going to, like, just rock you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there, there is this creativity that's all around you. And, uh, and the Lord is about ready just to like, like you are in this season where he's about ready to encounter you. I, I feel like you've been praying, you know, for like a year and a half, like, God, I want more. I just keep, I keep seeing you kneeling down next to a well. And, 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 it's your, and it's your personal well. It's the well that you've been cultivating with the Lord. And next to the well is a broken shovel, a broken pickaxe. It's like, it's like the, the, the depth of the well, you've hit ground. You've hit like a hard place. And you're like, God, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. And then and you're like, God, all the tools you've given me have been broken. Like I've tried to go deeper, but I just can't get deeper. And then suddenly I hear the backing of heavy equipment. I see the power tools. I just see like the jackhammer. And then he begins to give you the power tools and you begin to break through the granite. You begin to break through the hard ground. And he is in a season of taking you deeper. And that, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come with power. Holy Spirit, that you would just come and that you just begin to rock her life. I pray for Jehovah Sneaky, that there's even something um, with like, like finances. There, there's something about favor on you with finances. And so, Lord, I just pray for breakthrough in finances. There's even nations that you've been praying about. I pray, Lord, that you begin to send her to different nations, that she would never have worry or fear, that finances aren't going to come together. And I thank you, Lord, there's a spirit of adoption anointing on her, and that, that there's something about you loving the unlovely. There's something about you loving those that have felt like they've been rejected and there's something about you breaking the spirit of suicide that 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 there's something about you just hugging people in suicide lifts depression lifts anxiety lifts and so lord we just thank you that she's a woman of compassion and i pray that you would take her deeper and deeper into your heart amen so so that happened like, she's like, I was at Coachella. And then the next day, you know, we, we are all meeting. There's about five of us. And we were at this little coffee shop. And, and she was sharing this testimony to some of the people that were working there. And this girl goes, I was at Coachella in 2014. I was living with my boyfriend. I was doing drugs. And I got radically saved at Coachella in the parking lot. And I'm, and I'm going into first year BSSM this next year. It's so important to be studying. 
I feel like there are prophetic voices in the music. And they're carrying the pulse. They're carrying the heartbeat of a generation. Oh, man. Have you guys, I don't know if you guys know 21 Pilots, but I was, I've been able, I met them uh, a few years ago, prophesied over them uh, back in 2013. And it is amazing. We don't, I'm, I didn't really have a video set up or anything. I don't really ever really show it. But you should probably watch a video of how they received their first Grammy. Oh, epic. Because you see these millennials, they are fighting for authenticity. I mean, social justice is huge. You know, I want to get behind a cause. And so, anyways, 21 Pilots, they've got some pretty, I've had some pretty radical dreams where they're in them. And I've been praying for them for, you know, probably about five, six years. And... Uh, they receive their Grammy. They get called up. They're at the Grammys. It's like, I think it's breakout artist or new artist or something like that. And they immediately take off their pants. Yep. I guess that's what prophets do. It's biblical. Look it up in the Old Testament. So they take, off, they take off their pants, and everyone's like, oh, that's so rock and roll. Oh, my gosh. These guys are rebels. Oh, my gosh. They take off their pants, and they're just like, oh, yeah, these guys are just, you know, doing some kind of bit or something like that. They're in their underwear. They're in their socks and shoes, no pants. They get up there, and they say, hey, about five years ago when we formed our band, I was watching the Grammys and I invited, you know, my buddy over here to come and watch the Grammys. And we're all just hanging out, lounging in our um, living room in Ohio and we're all in our underwear. And I look at my friend and I say, hey, if we ever get to the Grammys and we receive a Grammy, well, I want us to receive it the same way that we are today, that this industry would not change us, that we would stay true to who we are. And he just looks in the camera, and there's, there's people right now, you're watching the Grammys in your underwear, and I'm telling you that your voice matters, that your voice is going to spark in other people's hearts, and you stay true to who you are. I'm just like weeping. <laughs> Jesus. I really wasn't going to go here with all this, but it's, I guess, happening. I have definitely been, you know, just in this place of just prayer, intercession, where God's told me, hey, I, when you go to different cities, I want you to stay like downtown or stay in the midst of the city. Don't just stay in the, in the country and, and go and, 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 you know, eat at like epic restaurants or go to art museums or go to, you know, sporting events, go to concerts where you begin to be connected to the people of the land, that you'll have way more authority in the four walls of the church if you begin to be connected to the land and the people. So I was in Denver. I don't know if I shared this one. Uh, I was in Denver in January, and uh, I stayed in uh, the Hyatt uh, downtown next to the convention center, and uh, my wife was like, why would you do that? Like, you're, you're, there's a Hyatt right next to the church you're preaching at. You have an extra, like, 20-minute commute doing this. And I'm like, no, God told me to intercede in the, in the city. And so uh, we get in. 
go get some food. And then I'm a big like jacuzzi guy. I love the jacuzzi. And, and so I get there and I'm like, it's 945. I'm like, we got, we got to like scramble to that jacuzzi. So, so me and a buddy, we go in, in the hotel jacuzzi and there's a, you know, a bunch of people in there. And I'm like, Hey guys, like what, what brought you to Denver? What are you guys doing in Denver? And they say, Oh, we're at the LGBTQ, um, uh, Christian, uh, conference. And I'm like, Oh really? Of course you are. This is, I'm in the perfect spot then. <laughs> and so I just begin to ask them questions. Like, what's your experience been having same-sex attraction been in the church? Like, just talk to me. What's going on? What, what, how's it been? And they start telling me stories. And it's so important that we as the church break off the whole thing, that we are a people of judgment, but we need to reveal that we're people of conviction. It's not compromise. It's none of that. It's, we're people of conviction, but we're not people of judgment. And so I'm just asking them questions. Like, I want to like, hey, tell me your story, that, that there's something about empathy. There's something about understanding that, hey, like, I want to know your journey. Like, like, you know, like, tell me your journey. They start telling me their journey, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, my heart is, like, breaking for them. And we get kicked out of the jacuzzi. They take us into, you know, we, we have to walk through the weight room. And then I'm like, you know, they're asking me questions, and I'm starting to put cars on the table. that hey, I'm a pastor. I've been in ministry my whole life. And then they're like, really? Oh, my gosh. And, and then, like, they find out that, like, Heidi Baker is a spiritual mom of mine. They're like, oh, we love Heidi Baker. Oh, my gosh. And they're asking me all kinds of questions. And then, and then I look at this guy, and I'm like, hey, um, what's up with March 18th? And he goes, that's my birthday. And there's something that happened to you when you were eight years old on your birthday, and he just starts weeping. And that's when he was first sexually abused. And I just invite the father to crash in, and I just begin to hold this man right next to, like, the, the, the curl-up bar, the squat machine, and we're just like, and I'm holding him, and I'm just saying, hey, your daddy is here. Like, like it's safe. You're gonna, it, it, he's saying it's okay to be a little boy again and just climb up on his lap, and he's just weeping, this puddle of tears. And then another guy's like, I, I want to know the father like that. I, I want to know, you know, my dad in heaven like that. And then we just start praying for him. And I'm like, okay, perfect. Like, this, is, this is intercession. Because intercession needs to, it needs to look like something. You know, love looks like something. Intercession looks like something. That there's these intersections. And to be an intercessor is to be one that stands in the gap, that mediates, that is connected to heaven, that's connected to the Father, but also connected to the people, connected to the land. That Jesus looked on a mountain over Jerusalem and wept. When's the last time you walked through a city and just wept? Because of the empathy, because of the compassion, because that's what will birth authority in your prayer life. Is you've got to let people get in there. The guy's doing okay. <laughs> I mean, that's about, I'm going to talk a little bit about Catch the Wave, but you've got to know your aha moments in life. And, and I'm about ready to do these beach outreaches. And, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I was raised by two evangelists and, and my parents, they would do these beach outreaches where they would, you know, put on, like they'd get the battery generator uh, uh, deal and they would have the PA system, like this portable PA system, and they would play rock and roll like, 
you know, it, it smells like teen spirit. This is mid-90s. You know, this is like 94, 95. It smells like teen spirit. It feels like Holy Spirit. Um, uh, red olive chili peppers under the bridge, under the cross. Uh, then we had some classics thrown in there, like Eric Clapton, cocaine, get saved. Um, you know. And so people would be like, oh, whoa, is that Nirvana? And then, like, we in our church services, we'd have mosh pits and all this stuff. And so anyways... Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and so, anyways, we're, we're, we just got done playing. Now we're cooking hamburgers. And this guy's walking along. He's walking straight to the ocean. And me and my buddy Dennis were like, hey, man, you want a free hamburger? And he goes, yeah, I guess the last meal would be in order. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. That was, uh, that was an invitation. Let's give this guy a hamburger and, like, let's get a conversation going. So I grab, you know, we get the hamburger ready. I hand him, like, hey, what do you mean last meal? And he goes, well, my brother committed suicide three months ago. And I've been hearing a voice that if I ever want to see my brother again, then I need to go out the same way he did. And so I've come here to swim out in the middle of the ocean until I'm too tired, and then I'm going to let myself drown. And we begin to tell him about Jesus. We begin to tell him about the Father. And he's weeping in the middle of eating his hamburger, gets radically saved, lives at our house for the next three years, ends up marrying a girl, you know, having a few kids, never committed suicide. And I'm like, yeah, um, I, I would like to be doing a lot more of that. And I know, like, there, I'm telling you, there is something about when you get out there, you have more authority in here. Jesus. But we got to get out there. So I'm starting this whole thing, Catch the Wave, where I am stand-up paddleboarding the whole state of California, and I'm not going to do it in one, like, long go. That's 850 miles. So I'm going to take little chunks where I'll be putting on prayer meetings. I'll be putting on worship services out in the water. I'll be doing beach outreaches where we'll be doing feedings. And then another thing that we'll be doing is beach cleanups that I was uh, training for Catch the Wave in Laguna Beach. And I was stand-up paddleboarding, and I was seeing garbage all in the ocean. And I'm just like, what in the world is this? And I started picking up garbage, and I like, suddenly realized, because I've been in this place of intercession looks like something. Like there are connections, there are points that, that we could touch that look like intercession, that begin to fuel our prayers. And so I'm like, oh, there's all this garbage. Like that's intercession. That's cleaning up the land. That's, you know, that's stewarding the land. That's what we've been commissioned to do. And, and so anyways, uh, I started researching. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's islands of garbage the sizes of Texas in the Pacific, in the Pacific Ocean. And I'm actually working with engineers right now in Seattle to go get one of the biggest barges in the Pacific Ocean to go to this island of garbage and put on a worship service. And then we gather up garbage and we're coming up with a, a good solution to get rid of the garbage. Intercession looks like something. And I am like, 
getting watchmen on the wall to take the coastline of California. That there's something about watchmen on the wall. I've been just reading Nehemiah just over and over again. That there's watchmen on the wall. That there's something about the boundary lines. I'm having guys, we're going mountain biking and road biking through all like Shasta County on the, on the lines, on the borders. Praying. I mean, this isn't just like in the ocean thing. Like maybe some of you need to go on like horseback riding or road biking or something through the boundary lines of, of, your, of your town. Right. Interceding, praying. I mean, I guess you could do it in a car if you really want to, but. <laughs> it is Texas, you guys. It is big. But I really believe that God wants to release creativity and intercession. That intercession is ridiculously fun when you're partnering with the Holy Spirit. Like, let me give you another example of what I'm doing with intercession. I am, I, I, I love, I have a lot of friends that are shapers. They shape surfboards for me. And normally when you get a board shaped for you, it says, you know, Chad Deadman and the dimensions, like, you know, six foot three, 19 and a half wide, two and a half inches thick, that kind of thing. And so I told my shaper friends, hey, no, no, I don't want you to put my name. I want you to put Julia, Brielle, and David on this board, Joaquin Evans on this board, Sean Bowles on that board. And when I take that board out, I am interceding for that person. Because when I go out there, it is one of my sanctuaries. It's one of my places of prayer. And these surfboards are arrows in my quiver. But what does it look like for you? I know that it's way more like than one or two or three expressions. It's so many. But it's ammunition. God wants to give you ammunition. He doesn't want you shooting with blanks. He wants to give you ammunition, and it comes from this place of creativity. It comes from this place partnering with him, but also being connected to the people. Be connected to the people you're praying for. Jesus. I'm going to read this. This is Lonnie Frisbee. It's pretty crazy because the timing of this book coming out, book one came out, I think, about four or five years ago, maybe a little longer. This book came out about a year and a half, two years ago. This is, this is uh, book two, and it's a three-book series, so the third one hasn't come out yet. And there's so many things that are happening. If you study the 60s and you study what's going on in the last, like just, just the uh, music festivals, I mean, you have to understand, like in the 90s, music festivals were really poorly attended. You know, and then in the 2000s, yeah, in 2007, 2008, they just started ramping up. And from 2008 till now, like for the last 10 years, there have been music festivals popping up all around the world and all over America. I mean, that's just like one thing that I could tell you about like, wow, there are just so many correlating factors that are happening. But this book was released only a couple years ago. And Lonnie Frisbee, he wrote this in the last few years of his life. And Lonnie told Roger, who released this, don't release this until 2015. So I should have read this a little bit ago when I was articulating a little bit of the journey of the baby boomers. But you'll get, 
you'll be able to catch up. This is a guy, Fred, who, um, pretty epic guy, who was a spiritual father to Lonnie. And this is his account before he met Lonnie. And I read this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Fred contacted me. He's 95 years old. He contacted me, and I was reading about Fred. I don't know this guy. He lives in Riverside. Uh, they still are doing house meetings, and so he wants me to come do a house meeting for him in Riverside. And, um, yeah, this is Fred. I'll, I'll, you'll get to know him here in a little bit. I'm not sure where to begin. First of all, the things I'm going to share were not a result of Fred, but a work of the Holy Spirit. My wife and I were privileged to have been a small part of what God has been doing over these years. And it's a real joy and pleasure to be able to share these things. I think it's good for us at times to recount the blessings of God and how he has moved in such miraculous ways. It builds our faith for the future. I believe we are in a situation where a new wave is coming. We need to recognize that and to prepare ourselves. Lonnie asked me if I would share some of the beginnings of our involvement with him and the ministry. This goes way back, as Lonnie mentioned. I was a businessman, a conservative Episcopalian, and so for me to get linked up with a long-haired hippie, well, that had to be divine intervention. As a matter of fact, when I first encountered these long-haired people, I was somewhere in Hollywood. I remember being up there, driving down Hollywood Boulevard and seeing these men with long hair, and I, had, and I just had absolute contempt for them. Looking back, I think I actually saw Lonnie in Riverside years before we ever met. Here was this long-haired kid carrying a Bible. That was almost an insult upon insult. As far as I was concerned, for me, it was 180 degrees from what one would expect in terms of a Christian. Long hair for men was supposed to be an abomination. At least that was my training. I remember one time I was on the freeway with a very good friend of ours, Dr. Frost. We were headed to a meeting in Santa Barbara to share the good news of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. We were on the freeway in my new Cadillac, fish sticker on the back window, talking and talking about the things of the Lord. An old rattle trap car pulled up alongside us. It was loaded with a bunch of these hippies with their long hair. I saw them look at us with kind of a strange look. My first impulse was to thumb my nose at them, but as I started to do it, it was like the Holy Spirit cut me off at the knees and spoke to my spirit saying, what if they saw the fish on the back of your car and knew what it meant? Oh boy, talk about being cut down. I was humbled. I no more than that thought I, wait, hold on, I lost my place. I no more than had that thought when the kid next to the window picked up a Bible and pointed at it, he gave me the one-way Jesus sign. I immediately recognized I really, really had an attitude problem. Shortly after that, in just a matter of weeks, we attended a convention down in Palm Springs. It was a Christian businessmen's committee a black man was the speaker at the morning meeting. We had heard this man before. In fact, we had attended one of our Bible studies, or he had attended one of our Bible studies in our home, so I knew him very well. His primary message was that it's not skin that separates us, it's sin. 
But for some reason, instead of sharing his usual stuff this day, his message was to parents. And there were a lot of parents in the crowd. We're talking about 2,000 businessmen and their wives. He said, a lot of you parents are sending your kids to hell because you can't look past long hair. Boy, that cut me deep. I realized that I was one of those. The whole long hair scene so turned me off that I couldn't even be civil to them. The minister said, if that's your condition, I want you to stand to your feet and I want to pray for you. Here were 2,000 people assembled and the Holy Spirit said to me, you better stand up. So I stood up. There were probably three or four people out of the 2,000 who were on their feet. The speaker prayed for us and a miracle took place. I walked out of that auditorium, located our car, and at the first traffic signal that we hit on our way downtown for lunch, I saw three or four hippies on the street. As we stopped, waited for the signal to change, we got into a conversation with these kids and had an opportunity to share Jesus with them. I pulled over, and when we finished sharing with these young hippies, one of them turned to me and said, since this convention has been in town, we haven't been able to walk down the streets without getting buttonholed by Christians. That's an interesting word. But anyways, he looked at me right straight in the eye and said, you know what? You're the first one who has ever made sense to me. An hour before, I wouldn't have even been caught talking to him, let alone sharing Jesus. He later on opened the doors to his little Episcopalian church to Lonnie Frisbee. It blew up. Lonnie had to go to South Africa, so they asked Greg Laurie to come in, in place of Lonnie. Greg Laurie became the pastor of that church, and it became one of the biggest churches of America. It didn't start with Lonnie. It started with Fred letting his heart get radically soft and changed to say, hey, you know what? I want to connect to a generation. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to let there be dividing walls. You guys doing all right? I mean, we do. We have some music right now that's like EDM. I sometimes will share this at churches, and I'll have people raise their hand. What is EDM? And you have to understand that there's these new sounds that are being released like we had in the 60s that is like the heartbeat of a generation. And EDM is like here to stay. When you have like Rihanna working with Calvin Harris, and you have Chainsmokers working with Coldplay, and you have, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But if you look, go to an EDM concert, you go to a rap concert, you go to the new psychedelic rock concerts, it's all millennials. And I'm just like there, just like, oh my gosh, I could just feel this, like, just this, this intercession. So we're actually creating for Catch the Wave a spiritual questionnaire. I probably won't call it a spiritual questionnaire, but it's going to begin to create conversations about spirituality that open the doors to Jesus. Like, have you ever had a spiritual experience before? Have you, you know, what, what are the different rites of passage of spirituality that you had? Do you feel that your culture has, has, has been conducive negatively or positively for your spirituality? I mean, stuff like that that we're coming up with where it will begin to start a conversation where we get to bring Jesus. We're taking that to the beach and we're taking that to music festivals. 
And we're just asking God, give us creative ways to connect to a generation that would begin to articulate the gospel in their language. Jesus. Oh, dear Lord, dear Lord, I have a like 545 flight or something like that in the morning. There is something about, I'm going to end with, I'm going to start trying to land the plane, but there is something about praying outside. You know, all of creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, that how are we going to pray without ceasing if we don't learn how to pray outside? That I was in Norway and somebody asked me, I was at this conference, they said, hey, Chad, how much do you pray? And I was about ready to tell them the, the different seasons. And, you know, I've gone on different seasons where I fasted or different seasons where I've just like, you know, put myself in the, in the closet and just prayed. And, and I was about ready to tell them the different seasons. And the Lord's like, hey, you need to tell them you pray 24-7. And I'm like, uh, God, like, I don't pray 24-7. You know my life. And, 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 and the Lord's like, no, no, Chad, you don't understand. Your spirit is in communion with my spirit 24-7. While you're asleep, your spirit is awake. And so there is this, like, this prayer awakening that's going to be happening through the generations. And one of the manifestations is going to be a spirit of unity where it breaks compartmentalization. Of, oh, this is mundane, or this is the natural, you know, I'm doing my taxes. Surely I can't encounter God doing my taxes. No, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, meaning he'll all, he's always there. And why is it, you know, like we, we, when we come to church, like we are recognizing his presence because we're focusing. We're recognizing, we're leaning in, and it's Brother Lawrence that we learn washing dishes. We learn all the things that we do that we can lean in and cultivate his presence. That we're in constant intercession. That the Lord is awakening us to pray without ceasing. And there's something about getting outside and beginning to understand that creation is in intercession. a couple places I want to go, but Jesus, help us. Yeah, I'm just going to, uh, you know that I used to do this when I was 20 years old, a long time ago, and this will date me, Halo 1, you know, Halo 1 was really big, and there was no other Halo, and, um, and so I remember watching, uh, I would play Halo, and I would put on Don Potter, and my mom would, like, like, she would, like, come over and, you know, like, knock on the door, bring me some food or something like that. Like, Chad, what are you doing playing this crazy game? And I'm like, oh, oh, mom, I'm in intercession. I'm, in, I'm, do, I'm, I'm doing spiritual warfare. I just put on, like, Don Potter, and I'll just be killing aliens. Like, demons, you're going down. <laughs> like, there's so many different ways of intercession. But we need to understand that creation, the spirit of God is in intercession, that, that he's interceding for us. The spirit is awakening our prayer life. 
So I want you just to stand with me. Lord, I just pray, just put your hands on your heart. Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room that we would begin to learn the language of heaven. Lord, that we would begin to lean in, that, that you know, the, this whole thing of catch the wave, that you have to understand, like me being a surfer my whole life, you have to understand, like me being in the ocean, I was five years old and I discovered God in the water. And when I go out in the water, it's one of my biggest open heavens. It's where I discover God. It's one of the many places that I discover God. And not one wave is the same. Every wave that comes in is complete. And I've surfed over 40 different countries. It's one of my life goals to surf and preach in every continent. The only continent I haven't gone to yet to preach and surf is Antarctica. Hopefully that will be soon. But uh, uh, there, there is... Something about being a surfer and the correlating factors of prayer. That, that when I go to surf breaks, I study the wave. Where is it breaking? Like how shallow? What's the tide doing? You know, and what's the bottom look like? And when you go and paddle out, you have to paddle beyond where the waves are breaking. And you have to have eyes to see. I mean, those that wait on the Lord, that word wait means to set up an ambush to begin to focus and begin to prepare yourself, to position yourself in the pathway of his presence. And there's something about watching the waves. I don't know how many prophetic words I've heard from Heidi Baker and Dutch Sheets that there's a wave of the Spirit coming. I mean, I was doing ministry in San Clemente in Orange County, and then the next day I was doing ministry in Pismo Beach, and we were all staying in San Clemente, and they had a tsunami warning that night from San Clemente to Pismo Beach. And I was like, wow, this is prophetic. The two places I'm going to minister to is a tsunami warning. That's not a coincidence. Like, like God, you're just, you're, you're, you're just leading breadcrumbs, fueling my prayer life, that there's a tsunami of the Spirit coming, and that I've been preparing myself to catch a wave. And you have to understand that, that when waves come, that, that, that you have to position yourself, and you have to not wait for that wave to come to you, but you have to actually go out and get the wave, that you have to paddle. You have to learn how to co-labor with the Lord where you are paddling. But here's the key is when you feel the momentum transference, when you feel that shift where it's no longer you paddling, but the wave is pushing you. But if you continue to paddle, you will go over the falls. You will not ride the wave. You have to know the moment when to stop, not to strive, not to keep working, but to stop and get up and enjoy the wave. And I feel like the Lord is beginning to teach us on how to surf, how to catch the wave. So Lord, I pray for each one of us Lord, that you would take us on a journey of intercession, that we would be connected to heaven, but also would be connected to the land, that we'd be connected to the people, that our hearts would break for the people as Jesus walked through Israel and his heart broke. Lord, that you would show us the different dimensions of intercession, that we would begin to come with a place of understanding, that we would come from a place of compassion, and then that would turn to a place of authority, that we would have access to people's hearts, 
The people would trust us with their hearts because they could feel the genuine, the authenticity, the, the, the place of compassion that my heart breaks for you. Every one of us has a voice. Every one of us has different places of prayer. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to discover those places. For me, it's in the water. One of the strongest places. I pray that you would begin to discover the greatest places of prayer in your life. Maybe it's doing art. Maybe it's, you know, whatever it may be. But those places are places of authority. So, Lord, I pray that you would take us deeper. That we would begin to articulate the gospel to a generation that's never heard the gospel in their language. That it's the same gospel. That I want to know nothing but Christ crucified and the power of God. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that there's a reformation happening of your goodness, that you're a good daddy, that each one of us would represent the Father. So Lord, I pray that you would just crash in. Lord, I just pray that each one of us would begin to recognize our assignments. Lord, that we would steward our assignments well. That you would take us deeper and deeper into your heart. I really feel like if, if you have been an intercessor where you know that you have been a practicing intercessor for 10 years or more, I want you to come up here right now. And I'm just gonna lay hands on you and then what I'm gonna do is you're gonna make a fire tunnel. Those that are, that, that are up here, you're gonna make a fire tunnel and then we're gonna all go through it and we're gonna receive because I feel like there's a wave of intercession and also that there is something about the generations coming together. Some are younger, you know, up here, I love it. And it's not about an age thing, but there is something about that these guys have paid a price. There's a reason why I said 10 years or longer that they have been cultivating something, that they have breakthrough. And, and I, I, I'm just, I get around these intercessors, like my grandma, you know, my grandma was, would, would call me when I was 12 years old and say, Chad, I was praying for you since two in the morning. You're wearing a red shirt and, and blue pants and God is doing this and this. And I'd be like, uh, I'm wearing a red shirt and blue pants. Like grandma, you're, 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 you're a little crazy, you know, you're just a little weird, but I love you, you know, like, like, like she would teach me how to fly in the spirit when I was four years old. Yeah, that was my grandma. We would go out. She, she was a charismatic Catholic, and she took me to Toronto. She was an awesome charismatic Catholic. You know, she led a, a healing meeting on Monday nights for 38 years. 
She taught me how to pray for the sick when I was four years old. And we need, we need people that it's not an age thing, but it's a time thing. It's not an age thing. It's a time thing. There, there's something about people that have been building equity in their prayer life, building equity as an intercessor. And I, and I'm, and I just could feel this, like there's like a, a, a shift of, in the sense of the Lord is awakening the church to pray again. But, it's, but prayer is not boring. It is so much fun. Amen. So I'm just going to lay hands on these guys. And I just really just, you know what? Like some of you guys out there, you need to take notice who this is and like get their numbers and like take them out for coffee and say, hey, can you help me? Or like let's run together. Let's pray together. It doesn't necessarily happen overnight or something, but, but that you start being intentional. Like there's got to be a hunger in us of, hey, I want to grow in this place of intercession. And one way that's going to help you grow is by connecting with others that have gone places that we haven't gone to yet. But what's amazing is, you know, their breakthrough is grace for you. That what took them maybe 10 years, you get tonight. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.